If you're new here today, you've landed in our fifth week of our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we are in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus teaches us how to live distinctively different lives as salt and light in the world. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll notice Jesus' pattern of teaching. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you the truth. What Jesus gives us here in Matthew chapter 5 are six examples of what it would look like to be salt and light in the world. Six practical case studies of what it would look like to live distinctly different lives as citizens of the kingdom of God. And in these examples, Jesus is pressing into the Old Testament law. But the way Jesus tackles God's law is altogether different to the Jewish religious leaders. Jesus takes the law and he presses it into our hearts because God is not just concerned for us to do the right thing, but to do it with the right heart. God is more concerned with our innermost being, what is happening inside of us, than how we are acting on the outside. Jesus has already done this with the previous example like anger and murder, adultery and lust and taking oaths. And he's pressed these topics into our hearts and challenges us to understand what does it mean to obey these laws out of our heart. In today's passage, we're going to look at the final two examples, revenge and enemies. And to be honest, what we are about to read, it really grates our inbuilt justice reaction, our easily offended 21st century DNA that we have. To be totally upfront, these verses are really hard. Theologian John Stott says, nowhere is the challenge of the sermon greater Nowhere is the distinctiveness of the Christian countercultural most obvious. Nowhere is the need of the Holy Spirit, whose first fruit is love, more compelling. I've been challenged by Jesus' words here. So as we come to these verses, we actually need God's help to sit humbly enough to hear and receive Jesus' words and to figure out how to live this out. So let's listen with the Spirit's help. Let's read from verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. This is an Old Testament law that Jesus quotes, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, which is found in Leviticus, Exodus, and Deuteronomy. At first glance, the language of this ancient law might sound barbaric. Gandhi once said, eye for an eye leaves the world blind. Who has heard of that saying before? It seems barbaric, but it's not. This law was specifically there for the judges of Israel. It was a protective measure to decrease escalating personal revenge. The modern equivalent would be the punishment must fit the crime. How many of you believe that? The punishment must fit the crime. That is the basis behind eye for eye. It was a civil law of equivalent justice to decrease personal revenge and retaliation. It's actually a merciful law. It's designed to control the anger and violence that we can feel when we want revenge. And that is the design that Jesus wants to address. Because when someone wrongs us, sometimes we don't just want justice. We don't just want our due. Sometimes we want what is due and then some more. This desire for not just justice, but the desire for revenge and retaliation. 
And so Jesus tackles desire that is so inbuilt in us and says that the only way for our hearts to be free from revenge is, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Jesus says non-retaliation is the only way to cease the cycle of personal revenge. This is the better way. This is the way of the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but do not resist an evil person does not sound like the better way. And so to help us understand, Jesus gives us four case studies. The slap, the coat, the mile, and the money. Jesus says, verse 39, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So first, a slap. In this scenario, it's referring to a backhanded slap to insult and shame someone. So it's important to note that it's not a fist fight where you need to defend yourself. This is a public slap of shame. The equivalent could be perhaps a very public and aggressive Facebook rant or dig at someone for the whole world to see, shaming this person for something that they had done wrong. There might be times when you are seriously publicly insulted and shamed. And Jesus says there can be a time when you can choose to withstand the insult. That is a way to resist evil. Second, the coat. In this scenario, you're poor and someone is literally suing you for the shirt off your back. In the Jewish law, you couldn't sue someone for their coat because the coat acted as a blanket to sleep in, in bed. So even though the person suing has no legal rights to your coat, Jesus says, offer it anyway. Essentially, Jesus is saying there'll be times where you can choose to release your rights. That is another way to resist evil. Third, the mile. During the time of Jesus, Israel was under Roman occupation. Roman soldiers at any moment in the day could conscript you to carry their bags for a mile. And Jesus says, take it for two. Essentially, Jesus is saying there will be times when you can choose to bear the burden and go willingly beyond what is required of you. This is another way to resist evil. Finally, the money. Jesus says, if anyone begs or asks you for money, Jesus says, give it to them. And right away, we might say, hey, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We need a little bit more information. We need a little bit more qualification of whether this is a good stewardship of my money and resources. And that is precisely the impulse that Jesus wants to get at. He's saying there'll be times when we, you can choose to give unreasonably out of the resources that you do have. Giving unreasonably, that is another way to resist evil. And the whole point that Jesus is making with these case studies is this. In the way of the kingdom, it's not always about you. It's not always about your name, your reputation, your rights, doing the bare minimum or keeping what is yours for yourself. An evil person might insult you, sue you, make oppressive demands of you, abuse your generosity, and you can choose not to resist evil by withstanding insult, by releasing your rights, by going beyond what is required and perhaps giving unreasonably, by not returning evil for evil, but returning 
blessing for evil. How on earth do we do this? This seems impossible. This seems so unnatural. In each of these examples, Jesus brilliantly uncovers when we find ourselves in these situations just how much focus we give ourselves, just how much we are self-centered. These case studies uncover how we live for the kingdom of self. I want to uphold my name. I want to protect my reputation. I want to uphold my rights. I only want to do the bare minimum or what is required. I only want to give to myself. This is all the outlook of self. Jesus' vision for his people is so unnatural. We really need the power and the work of the Holy Spirit to decenter ourselves, to dethrone ourselves in order to stop living for the kingdom of self and to live for the king who blesses even to those who do evil against him. The natural response is eye for eye, (coughs) evil for evil. The supernatural response is blessing for evil. And the supernatural is possible. Billy Bray was a famous English evangelist. And before his conversion, he was a fighter. He was a thief and a street fighter before Street Fighter came out. And he worked in the mines, which was very hard work in the 1800s. Once he encountered Jesus, his life changed dramatically. And down in the mines was a man who lived in constant dread and terror of Billy Bray. And he heard that Billy was a changed man, and so he decided to take the opportunity. Without being provoked by Billy, he punched Billy in the face, hoping to start a fight to show everyone that Billy Bray hasn't really changed at all. Instead, Billy looked at the man and said, God forgive you as I have forgiven you. And he said no more. And this interaction tormented the man for days. And over time, he attended Billy's church and he became a Christian. Billy Bray's refusal to act and react to evil changed another person because that man saw light and salt. That man saw the way of the kingdom and he saw that that was better than the kingdom of self. The supernatural response to respond blessing with evil is possible. And the supernatural response is powerful, not weak. It's acting with inspiring strength, not being a doormat at all. But how might the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit be possible in your everyday? Because I'm conscious when I give these kinds of illustrations and stories of other Christians, we can cheer and praise God for it but it can still have no relevance to our own lives. Because to live out what Jesus is teaching here is really difficult. It's difficult to figure out how and when to resist evil, when to respond with blessing. Walking that line between asserting justice on the one hand and to not be taken advantage of on the other hand, well, that line is really hard to walk on. So I want to encourage you to figure that out in community groups this week. I want to encourage you to figure this out with prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit in community. And that is a great thing about community groups. We get to unpack and apply the teaching on Sunday with the help of others in community groups. In community groups this week, throw some real scenarios around. For example, work out together, how would you respond if someone in your workplace is stealing credit for your work? What would you do in that moment? What would it look like to live like Jesus there? 
Or how would you respond if your manager, direct report, made unfair and unrealistic demands of your time or of your team's resources? How would you respond, for another example, if your family member who is unwell and needing financial assistance, but all the other relatives are not pulling their weight to share the burden equally, what would it look like to live like Jesus there? These real-life situations happen to all of us, and it's difficult, but to live as Jesus' disciples who are salt and light and be a blessing to others, we're called to entrust our injustice to God who is just, and we have to figure it out. So we need to prayerfully depend on the Holy Spirit in community to figure this out. This is who Jesus calls us to be, to be completely different and distinct as citizens of the kingdom of God. To have the heart to bless others in the face of evil and justice is really to have the heart that can love our enemies. And this is what Jesus goes on to teach. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Hang on a sec. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where is that found in the Old Testament? Well, you actually don't find it in the Old Testament. This was one of the ways that the Pharisees and the scribes had twisted the word of God to put boundaries on God's law in order to make it easier to obey. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy was a twisted law in order to fence in love. This was them trying to ignore the difficult and costly bits of God's word. The Pharisees and the scribes, in order to make obedience easier, wanted to draw a circle around those who are worthy to love. And so when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, he erases the circle altogether. Jesus does not want us to draw a circle around who is worthy of our love and who is unworthy of our love. Jesus is teaching us to love without fences, without any boundaries. And when Jesus pushes love to this extreme, it unveils something about our human love, that there are conditions and limits to our human love. We love those who love us. We love those who are like us. We love those who reciprocate our love. We love those who we're required to love, like family. And we might even love when it's not easy because we are committed to love. But to love our enemies... And a definition of an enemy is someone who's unlovable because they hate us. That's so unnatural. That goes totally against our instinct. It goes against every fiber of our being. These verses are hard to obey. So what would motivate us to live and love like this? Jesus says from verse 45, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The first motivation that Jesus gives us is that when we love our enemies, we would be like God and his children. The first motivation is that we would become more and more like Jesus, reflecting God's character. You would have the family likeness of God because God is the one who loves and blesses his enemies. God gives the son to us on this beautiful sunny day and God gives the same son to ISIS and to North Korea. God is a God who loves without conditions and without limits with his common grace for the just and unjust, for the righteous and unrighteous. 
So when we love our enemies, we are being like him. That is the first motivation. The second motivation is the next verse. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even like even the tax collectors doing that? If you only greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Jesus says there's nothing distinct and different about us when we love our neighbors and hate our enemies. There's nothing salty, there's nothing light-filled when we just love those who love us back. And Jesus gives two examples, the tax collectors and the pagans, the people that the Pharisees and scribes absolutely hated. Jesus says even these people love their neighbors and hate their enemies. And this would ruffle the feathers of the Pharisees and scribes. Because Jesus is saying, you're actually no different to the people that you morally and spiritually look down on. And so second motivation to love our enemies is to be salt and light as we be like Jesus. The second motivation is to be salt and light to your workplace, to your street, to your social networks who desperately need to encounter the love and grace of Jesus Christ. A world that desperately needs salt and light is our second motivation. That is Christ's vision for his people, for his church. The third motivation is verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father is perfect. Now, that might sound impossible, to be perfect as God. Well, unfortunately, perfect is not the greatest translation of the Greek word here. The Greek word is teleos. What Jesus is saying is, be teleos as your heavenly Father is teleos. So let me explain what the word means. A thing is perfect, or in the Greek, teleos, when it fully realizes its purpose, the purpose for which it was designed, planned, and made for. So for example, say my house, there's a screw loose, and so I go to Bunnings to buy a screwdriver, and I find a screwdriver that fits perfectly in my hand. It's not too big, it's not too small. I buy this screwdriver and it turns out it has the right head for the type of screw that is loose. It fits perfectly. And I tighten the screw and it's done. The screwdriver is teleos because it exactly fulfilled its purpose. In the same way a person is teleos when they fulfill the purpose for which they were created for. We are all made in the image of God and our purpose is to receive God's unconditional and unlimited love so that we could reflect God's unconditional and unlimited love out into the world. That is our teleos. The third motivation to love our enemies is that we will fulfill our purpose. The third motivation is Jesus inviting us to recover our true purpose. Our purpose in life is not personal fulfillment, but to fulfill God's purpose for us. And this last verse, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, is actually the capstone verse of this section in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. It summarizes the six examples that Jesus has given us on how to live as salt and light. It gives us a picture of the true nature of God. God does not murder, but is forgiving. God is faithful to his marriage covenant. God is honest and keeps his word. God resists evil. And God loves even his enemies. And this is who God invites us to become. God does not want us to put on an act, but to become actually like him. The prophet Isaiah spoke about what God is like. 
The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheek to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Isaiah got to peer forward in time, and he saw Jesus on the cross. On the way to cross, Jesus did not resist evil. He was slapped. He was beaten. He was spat upon. He was ridiculed, but he did not defend himself. Although he was the son of God, he did not lay claim to that power and right, but surrendered himself and was stripped naked and was crucified, the most humiliating death. He went beyond what was required. He owed no one the sacrifice of his life to no one, but he came as a sacrifice to us because he loved us, his enemies. As he was dying in the hands of evil, he did not demand eye for an eye. Instead, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. The purpose of the cross is, yes, for the forgiveness of sin, but the purpose also of the cross is to create a new people, that all would come to cross and believe in Jesus, will be remade, receive his spirit, and to be alive in him, and to be perfect, to fulfill his purpose, to have a greater, more deeper love than human love, a supernatural love that loves our enemies because at our worst, Christ loved us. We're going to begin to obey Jesus' words here by praying for our enemies today. Today, right here, right now, we're going to seek the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to obey Jesus' clear instruction, which is to pray for those who has hurt you, who has a grudge against you, those who hate you or dislike you, Pray for those who have, you have attention and friction with and ask for God's blessing upon them. And the only possible way that we could ever do this is first to receive the forgiving sacrifice and the enemy love of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in the truth that whilst we were sinners, Christ died for you to love you, to bless you. Do that today. Receive Jesus' grace and mercy. And we're going to respond in song and we're going to partake in communion which symbolizes Christ's death and sacrifice for us. And as we sing the next song, you can come to the table to take the bread and juice and I will lead us in the Lord's Supper after the song. The bread is gluten-free. If you're not in a position to put your faith in Jesus, we're just glad that you're here. You can simply stay at your seat and we hope that one day you would participate in communion with us. But first, we're going to stand and pray. God, we thank you this morning for loving us without conditions, without limits, beyond measure. Father, help us by your spirit to live like Jesus. Help us to be a people that would transform our city as we respond in a countercultural way by blessing those who do evil to us. Help us that we would love to those who act unjustly towards us. This is impossibly hard for us to do but empower us by your Holy Spirit to live this way. We thank you for Jesus, who bled and died for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.